0: Hello, and welcome to Empowered, the empowerment podcast where I, Imogen Barnes, embrace the power of the human spirit, storytelling, and the unity that comes from lived experiences. Tune in to be informed, inspired, and above all, hope instilled. Hello, sunshiny humans, and welcome back to Empowered. I have the most powerful conversation to share with you today. Oh, my goodness. It was my absolute honor to meet and interview the fierce Tim Conway. Now, Tim is about to courageously share with us his own experience navigating mental illness, the barriers that he had to overcome to seek help, and his road to recovery. I was left absolutely awestruck following connecting with him, I don't think I've ever met someone who conveys their experience so authentically and void of any shame. Tim's raw vulnerability makes him so relatable. You will literally breathe sighs of relief as he relays his experiences. He has this uncanny ability to make you feel seen, validated, heard, and above all loved and not alone. The world truly does need voices like his to be projected for all to hear. I will leave his contacts in the show notes below, should you like to reach out. I definitely know if it was me, I would want to. Now, before you do tune in to Tim and I's conversation, I'd like to give you a bit of a trigger warning. If the discussion of eating disorders and mental health struggles are topics that impede your peace in any way, please do feel free to click away now and to protect your serenity. Should you need a helping hand after listening, I will leave the links to support services that you can access in the show notes below. Now, without further ado, here is Tim. Thank you so much, Tim, for being here and for finally yeah, getting a time that <laughs> suited both of our frantic schedules and my really, really bad capacity to commit, apparently.
1: No, that's fine. Not a worry.
0: Tim, would you like to introduce yourself to our lovely listeners?
1: Um, I'm Tim. I'm 30. I had to think about that. Um, I live in Newcastle in New South Wales. Um, Near the beach, which is which is nice on some of oh, those.
0: The dream, yeah.
1: Mm. Pay, pay over the head for it, which is
0: – make
1: it, it makes was, it a bit less less desirable.
0: No, no but it's like totally – I was going to say it's like a it's – a, it's a give and take. You know what I mean? It's worth it. At least you've got that. I live near the beach as well, and I wouldn't – I'd go a bit crazy without it. I actually think the idea of the outback is kind of terrifying, if you ask me.
1: I don't. Oh, I'd be worried if something went wrong. I'd just be brown bread straight away. <laughs> no nowhere me. to go,
0: nothing to do. <laughs> no. Exactly. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. No, I think that as well. Very like wolf creaky. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, so I'm starting off season two with like the same icebreakers for everyone. The first being, do you want to share something that you do that makes you feel powerful?
1: What I do that makes me feel powerful. Yeah. Um, I do much. I sort of like to. I like to play golf. Um, just being able to hit the ball and sort of seeing it go a distance. Um, yeah. Kind of, kind of reminds me how far I've come from the start of my journey. Um, because from the start, I wouldn't be able to hit a golf ball fifty meters, but no. now I can hit it. I can hit it with some some gust and it can actually go a decent a decent length. Hell yeah! Um, so I, I guess that sort of that makes me feel a bit powerful, just because. As I said, just shows me where I, where I was to where I am now, and I think that's I think it's really important to have those little reminders to show you that even on your darkest days, and I still have them. Like I don't think I don't think anyone can say that's sort of recovered or is recovering. Can't say that they sort of don't have bad days. So I think it's just a little reminder to just go, hey, like I know you're having an ordinary day, but think about that golf shot you hit. Like you wouldn't be able to do that a couple of years ago. So I think that's really what empowers me to continue to sort of work on things.
0: Absolutely. It's like metaphorical and literal like yeah. literal. Yeah. You like yeah. back back in the day, you didn't have the actual strength to hit a golf ball, but you also represents like so far how far you've come in all facets of your life, I imagine.
1: I don't I don't like the word progress, but I'll, I'll use it. It's progress.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. It's, it's difficult. It's one of those words too. you like, what is it? How am I measuring it? But I understand entirely. So many different meanings. So many. Um, all right. So the second icebreaker, mm. what is one of your most warm and fuzzy m- memories? What, like, makes you like, oh, that was such a good moment?
1: So I've got, I've got a couple, um, but there was one that sticks out just because, and it's going to go back to the time of when I wasn't, wasn't as well. But I was sort of, I was at home. I I had to move back from London because of my illness. And then mum and dad had heard about a therapy dog and how it sort of can help, help someone. Um, So we went and sort of found a dog. I wanted to board a Collie or a Labrador or something big. but we settled on a a Cavoodle and my parents were away at the time. They, um, dad was working overseas a lot. So my now sister-in-law took me and, I was just so ill. I don't remember, like, being in this. Apparently, I was in this pool, swimming pool of puppies, just all over me. So um, we we picked up a little boy, and I decided to call him Basil.
0: Oh, that's so
1: <laughs> and, cute! And and, 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 it, and it actually it actually turned out to be a good name because he's got the fluffy tail and looks like Basil Brush. Oh,
0: that's so, so
1: good. I think, and just sort of like having something that I was responsible for. It just. Like, I love that dog more than anything. And I think that, that always gives me, the, gives me the good feel. So, like, whenever I see a dog or a dog video on Instagram or Facebook, I just want to have my dog with me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> isn't it? Isn't it?
0: It's like a love like no other. It sounds really goofy, but I think it's so much, much joy. Like,
1: like, a, like a child, I guess. I guess it is. Because it's someone that just loves you unconditionally and always happy to see you. Um,
0: That's what I this think. This morning when I saw him. Oh, that's it. You know, you like come back from a day at work, or you you leave them for five minutes, bless them, and they come back and just oh my god.
1: Yeah, <laughs> just this goes nuts. I feel like at sometimes I think he's, he's having a he's going to have a heart attack because he's just shaking. And yeah, do take everything. a breath. Yeah, I know. Right? but please continue. being yeah, loving the,
0: me. <laughs> the best thing ever. Oh my goodness! I anyway, know. I also got asked the other day, "Are you a dog or a cat person?" And like, I love I love animals, but my heart. My heart
1: belongs to dogs.
0: Love my oh,
1: dad. my God. Oh, no. You'd have to be a dog. Yes. My cats can be jerks.
0: Yeah. Uh, ca- cats are terrifying. Well, oh, my God.
1: They're either either other end of the spectrum. Like, yeah. they love you like a dog or they're just jerks. Terrifying.
0: You. Yeah. Like, yeah, scratch your eyes out. Oh, scary. Yeah. All right. Tim, would you like to, like, give us a little bit of an insight into your journey what you're doing, how, like, where you've come from.
1: So, um, it kind of started after my 21st. Uh, I was sort of, I don't know, I'd be one of those blokes that just I'd go out three, three nights a week. I just drink what I want, ate what I want, and stuff like that. And I think because I have a history of OCD, um, and I just become really obsessed about things. So it'd be sort of, I'd be flicking lights on and off so my parents didn't die in their sleep and I'd be doing other things. So sort of like I'd, I don't know, I'd get changed and unchanged or hop into bed and out of bed because my mind was telling me that I, I, I would be a homosexual and there's nothing wrong with that being, being a homosexual. That was nothing. But I think I was in that age of maybe 15, 16, where you are sort of discovering new things about yourself. So then when I was about 21, all my mates, my best mates, and stuff like that, were giving me a whole lot of stick about my weight. So I was, I was probably, I was pretty, I was living an unhealthy life. Um, but from that, I just became really, really obsessed about how I looked to other people, not just myself. But it was, I think, it was always about how people perceived me. So I think everyone wants to be loved and desirable to either, either sex. So I just sort of really, really became obsessed about that. I've always had a pretty low self-esteem and sort of image about myself. So I just, six-month period, it just, it, it sort of spiraled pretty quickly. Um, and mum had come to me one, one day and said, oh, are you okay? Like, we noticed you've sort of, you've changed a bit. Um, and I just sort of pushed it off. No, no, everything's fine. I'm just getting healthier. I could be further from the truth. But, and then it sort of kept spiraling, going on. And then I can't remember how it happened, but it was sort of like, um, like, oh, maybe you should go do a stint in uh, in Sydney, in St. Leonard's. Um, so I went and did that and it was horrendous. It was a horrendous experience. I just, it felt like I was in sort of some some type of camp. You know what I mean? Like you do this, you do that. Yeah. Um <laughs> And then I, I didn't really feel like I was I was sort of taken seriously because I was a male. I would like every every hospital admission I've done only guy, and that's that's fine. But it is a lonely experience. So I did that, and I said to my mum and dad because my best mate was moving to London to work in London, and I was like, I want to go. So I'm, like, you know what, I'm going to get better, and and I'll go. And I sort of I shouldn't have in hindsight, being very new to an eating disorder, I shouldn't have set myself. I set myself a limit. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to reach that limit and I'm going to go. But to be honest, 100% transparency, I was not going to get to that limit and I was still going to go. I'm pretty big yeah. headed. So yeah. no, I moved it. I moved to London a couple of days after 24th, 25th birthday, May 24th. Got over there shared a bed with my best mate for a couple of weeks while we tried to find a place. I tried to find a job. Um, and then we moved into Vauxhall, which is sort of smack back in the middle of London, paying something like $300 each a week to share a that, bedroom.
0: That sounds ludicrous. Yeah, as in... Oh,
1: I think I was earning something like $12 an hour. Oh, And I was, and I was working 15-hour days and then just wouldn't eat. And then I started becoming the restaurant manager and if you know English pubs, they're very tiny and up multiple levels. So the kitchen pass was on the second level. So every meal, and this is this is this is a busy pub. It's like it's called like Young's Pub. They're like one of the bigger sort of chains, of yeah, pubs yeah, in, in England. So I'd, I'd run up and down the stairs, getting meals and meals. Like I wouldn't eat what I what I I did eat just wouldn't last. So um. Oh, yeah, I started getting really, really sick. I found that my immune system was really poor. I'd have flus all the time. Um, at one stage, I sort of slipped in a bathtub and smashed my head on the toilet. <laughs> I don't remember it. I don't remember getting to work. Um, but it also, I think my, my mind wasn't actually running at 100%. I think it was probably running at about 50. Yeah. So my, my parents came over, um, just come over and say good day um, after a couple of months. And, sort of I was getting dressed one time because I was going to meet them in Barcelona and sort of they, they saw me take off my clothes and just both started crying. Um, It was pretty evident from that period of when I left Australia to like six weeks when they came over, I would, I was starting to get really, really, really cruel. So um, yeah, um, we had a look at our options. There was a, in sort of uh, clinic, in South London, near King's College, which is, I think it's the biggest one in London, probably wrong. Um, and I sort of got in contact with them. They're like, I'll come in, have a chat. Um, we're gonna have a look at your options. So I went in there a couple of times, um, even my best mate took me once, wanted to be there emotionally, emotional support. We got there and then it became evident that they don't take males. They were just like, basically they said, no, can't, can't help you, um, oh. we only take females. And I was like, all right. It's, Sick. Thanks. I swear. I'm just going to go work 15 hours in the pub now. Um, So I think there was one in Knightsbridge, which is sort of like near Chelsea and stuff like that. And the wait list was, was decent for that. And I thought I had a chat to mum and dad and I I didn't want to leave London. I sort of wanted to stay there for two years, but it was just, it was obvious. There was no chance. I was sort of, going towards being in an early grave. So what it was is mum and dad and I agreed that I, I didn't want to be a drain on another country's health system and HS. So it was getting an emergency flight home. Um, and then funnily, funnily enough, I met an eating disorder specialist who was sitting next to me on the flight home.
0: You're kidding.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I had a chat and he's like, oh, why are you going home? And I was like, "Oh, this is the reason." He's here. Oh, "Well, that's what I specialize in." So we kept in contact for a while. Once I first got back, um, put me in contact with some people, gave me some options. So when I got back, um, I hadn't seen my brother in a bunch of months, and I was sort of—I didn't have the energy to do anything else. I just lie in the sun. And he came out, and I didn't see it, but mum, mum told me that sort of. He came out. He saw me on the thing and just left. He couldn't in, left in tears and drove off. Couldn't couldn't really look at me. So from there, I've done did a couple of stints over in Parramatta, Wentworthville. Um, met some lovely people over there. Really, really nice people. There were people that sort of just made me feel welcome. Um, but still lonely, just because you don't have that male sort of companion. I'm going mean, to talk rubbish, sport and stuff like that. Um, yeah so i did a couple of missions there sort of started started to sort of show some progress and then went over to europe again um i think europe's a europe's a common denominator isn't it um and then i sort of i was only meant to go for a month i met some friends over there like my boss that i worked for over there and then just kept canceling my flight canceling my flight canceling my flight and just stayed over there ended up in some snow village in Poland and stuff. And I came back and I sort of regressed again, um, being sort of like master of your own outcomes. It didn't work well for me. So I went back in again. Um, I think I did about five, five admissions. And then it came to an ultimatum um, from a sister-in-law. We sort of, she called like a family meeting, family breakfast and was like, oh, my, it's not good, like, if you're not going to sort of put 100% into it, you're just going to have to go away again, And she's like, well, this place, but you won't be going away for a couple of weeks at a time. You'll be going for months until sort of, like, you learn some strategies and stuff like that. And i was just sort of just like, you know what, I've, I've got to give it 100%. Like my parents are getting older. I don't want them to sort of constantly sort of think of me as being sick, and I want to sort of get back to work because I wasn't working for that, that whole time. I was dipping into my savings constantly and so I think I was just sort of running away from from my responsibilities and sort of probably driving my parents into an early grave. So I put my best foot forward and, yeah, and here we are again today um, sort of on the road to recovery.
0: Yeah, that is so incredible and I resonate with so much of that. I feel like it's unfortunate but you do get that after a while, that sense of being a burden on your loved ones and, and yourself. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not sustainable to be completely unwell all the time. And I did the same thing. I didn't work. I didn't have any savings after a while. You know, I started out with a little, but you, you can only survive on that for so long.
1: I was still living at home and my parents paid for everything. So I'm, I've, I've always been so lucky that my parents have sort of been like, I've, I've had the financial backing of my parents. Who have always worked hard and stuff like that. So I think I've always been really, really lucky with that and a really supportive friend group and family group. And that, I think that also gives you a sort of bit of an added push. I really, really sort of sympathize with those people that sort of don't have that emotional backing and financial backing. You know what I mean?
0: Absolutely. Um, And you just, you just can't, oh, I don't, I don't know how those people do it because I would, I would simply not be here without. The support systems that i had financially and emotionally i just i wouldn't
1: but how is like going into the public health system that's the weight for that's ridiculous, it's, it's and I, ridiculous. And I think and, and it seems like they just ship you in to ship you out again you know what Absolutely.
0: i mean and the population that they serve uh is like the very minority of people that manage to fit the you know what what it is in their eyes that means the sick enough ideal yeah
1: yeah, it, it did feel, like because I had to look at the sort of public system um, as options, because we just didn't know anything. No. Um, and it was just sort of like, oh, you don't really fit in our borders, which it did. I did. But like, it just seems like you need to fit in this little tiny statistics. Yes. yes. And, then, and it's like, oh, well, and then you, then you start thinking, it was like, actually, like, am I actually sick sick enough? Do I really need to get help?
0: Yeah, and then you've kind of got this weird bar for yourself as well, you know, it kind mm. kind of set this threshold for some people. Mm.
1: Mm. I think it's I think it's it's pretty poor cool how um this is all being handled nationally. Um, yeah. I, I expected a bit more from <laughs> the current federal health minister whose mum was a nurse. Um, yeah. but I like the political.
0: Oh well I know. Well I was like actually there's Pre-COVID, there's an eight beds designated to eating disorder support in New South Wales. And
1: is that Prince Alfred or something like that? Yeah.
0: And even now that has just been turned into a COVID ward. So currently there are zero beds for eating disorder patients.
1: And I think I think like I've even found myself someone that sort of is sort of sustainable by myself. But if you get someone who's 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 really sick, who's probably been either been in our shoes, like it's yeah, like their anxiety doesn't doesn't get any better when no. there's food shortages because everyone sort of like I know myself I had I had my my safe foods at the start of the pandemic you none know, of those safe foods were, were around it was like toilet paper but I was lucky enough that I was sort of able to sort of substitute things but yeah. I, I I I feel awful for the awfully for these people that is just really trying to put their best foot forward but the system's letting them down.
0: No, absolutely. And there's this scarcity mindset that an eating disorder already kind of relishes in that COVID in itself has just completely fed into. I think if I wasn't in a better place, I definitely would have suffered throughout the the COVID pandemic with forced isolation and, you know, the lack of access to what I felt safe to eat. You know, it's...
1: I was going so, to ask you, I'm
0: sorry, yeah. do, you, no, do you think that there is like more of a link to OCD and eating disorders than we sort of talk about, you know? I don't know.
1: Um, I don't think I'm sort of the, the right person to sort of distinguish that. Um, I did, I was doing a study actually. Um, I did a survey for this this, this mob in Melbourne, I think. Um, i've been i've been sort of hitting apple watch ignoring their calls because i think it's i think it's a telemarketer but they sent me an email and they were going to possibly do like a a genetic test um to see if there is a link like "Ah, surely there's got to be something like is there because they both sort of match each other in a way sort of certain symptoms dictating what happens and stuff like that and the fear of the unknown and stuff like that um so yeah i get i guess so um i'd also like to see if it's sort of genetically passed down as well um, yeah inherited
0: absolutely Um, i don't
1: i don't don't know my father's side of the family so um i should probably get onto that
0: Um, no i'd be completely fascinated as well
1: i'm actually i'm terrified that if i'm lucky enough to have kids that I'll, i'll pass it on to them I that absolutely terrifies me that i could sort of well, not like hard, sort of make their life harder. Not not just any sort of like having OCD. It's it's not a walk in the park, and I'll never pretend it's a walk in the park.
0: Oh my goodness, no! And do you know, I actually wanted to provide you with some reassurance at the start. And when you said that you had those like intrusive thoughts and concerns about being a homosexual, I had the same.
1: Oh I, and did I you? thought
0: I was nuts. I honestly thought, and I have absolutely no. Um, I am very. Oh my goodness, what's the word? Um, I have no prejudices against anyone of how any, you know, sexuality, nothing like that. And, but I had this deep, deep fear that I was going to become, you know, I was attracted to my friends and yeah. of all sorts of different things, and it sounds very bizarre to talk about um to anyone mm. that doesn't have that experience with OCD. But to anyone who does, I'm pretty sure they resonate immediately. I also had this really big concern that I was gonna hurt people. I would get these really yeah. ugly, intrusive thoughts. Yeah. And I would think, i'm was... oh yeah, oh my God, what if I actually want to do that?
1: Yeah. Well, actually, I'm actually wearing my my new T-shirts came and it's called a Werewolf. It's a it's a LBG I've got to the last little bit. Um, yeah, inclusive brand from America. My t shirt Oh, so, I'm going to
0: have to get it. I love that.
1: Yeah, lovers love people.
0: Exactly. Exactly. But it's, 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 I definitely understand. It's very funny. We don't actually have a phenomenal awareness as general society of how OCD manifests
1: itself. I, I actually, there's a funny story for a couple of years ago. I was walking at one of the shopping centers in Newcastle and I saw this lady. And it was a shirt making fun of OCD. Um, I'm not very proud of it, but I, I went up to her and I told her my thoughts about t T-shirt. Um, as nicely as I could, I probably could have done it a bit, nice, a bit more nicely, but, yeah, I think I saw red at that time.
0: No, I understand entirely. <laughs> it's like, please stop. Please stop making this whole illness like an adjective. Like, oh, I'm so OCD.
1: Yeah. Oh. No, you're not. No, you're not. you can you can you can like tidy things. That's fine. That's um. No, no, I, I think I oh, one of my one of my best mates actually. He um. It just shows the sort of understanding that eating disorders and OCD have. Um, he was just like, I don't know what's wrong with you. Just just put that in your mouth and chew it and swallow it. I'm like, what's wrong with you? And, I was just like, and a couple of my other mates were just like, dude, stop! You're so ignorant. Oh, oh. oh god so yeah it's yeah. interesting inter- it, interesting experiences
0: exactly and just like that some people can be super understanding super supportive and then they can be the people that are yeah the polar opposite
1: doesn't seem like there's a middle ground
0: no no exactly do you did you like growing up feel like because I, I don't know. So for me growing up, I definitely was self-conscious, um, but I didn't have an over like an all-consuming awareness to my body. You know, I wasn't really worried about what it looked like. It wasn't until I kind of, you know, I didn't think I was the type, quote, unquote, to develop an eating disorder. Did you, were you overly concerned about your body growing up? Was this like an ideal that you just like strive towards or...
1: To let us know, because you know what? I would have been in that ignorant sort of part of society. I didn't even put, like, didn't even think about it for one second. Um, I was always pretty, pretty self-conscious. I used to, used to cop a lot of flack in school. My brother was, was very good looking. And a couple of (laughs) girls were just like, your brother's hot and you're not. Oh, "Oh, wow. Wow, Thank you so much for that. Yeah, no, right. Um, but I've always been had like a low, low self esteem. Um, I was bullied pretty badly in sort of primary school and start of high school. So um, yeah, but I, I never thought about my body shape or anything like that. Um, it Just didn't really come to me. But I guess, I guess, like when those comments were made when I was twenty one, my OCD was 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 really, really bad. I was flying to to Brisbane every second week to see a specialist up there. Um, so, yeah, I think it, I think it just probably probably came at the wrong time. Um, who knows if I was on top of my OCD, then I mightn't have it might have taken hold. Um, but it is what it is. To be honest, I don't, yeah. I don't I don't I don't blame anyone for comments made or anything. I live with one of the guys, and I love him. So
0: yeah,
1: there's no point sort of going down that spiral of being bitter and blaming everyone else because you just you just end up feeling numb.
0: No, absolutely, and I think to reassure the people that have said things because we all say things that we do regret sometimes, and for people that have definitely in their past, you know, said something that they now regret about someone else's appearance or whatever. Like it takes more than just a like a comment to give someone an eating
1: disorder. Um, you know what? Back in the day, I've probably said I've I've definitely said something about someone's appearance. Yeah. And you know what? Well, because you just, me too.
0: You don't know Ignor, no, exactly, especially as a kid, you know, and oh my goodness. And you, you can hold a lot of guilt for that, but it's definitely, it's more nuanced than just, you know, a comment causing something like that. Mm. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> um, Tim, would you mind talking a little bit more about how your OCD manifests, like how it came up?
1: Uh, like when I was younger.
0: Yeah, Like, what did you, what were your obsessions and compulsions? If you don't mind sharing them, that's nah,
1: fine. Uh, open book. Um, so I think a lot of it when I started out was sort of revolving around sort of something happening to the people I love, my parents, my brother, or anything like that, and then it sort of manifested into that um sexuality. And then just trying to think because I've kind of like you know how hey, you shut off painful memories, yeah. Oh, um, I just I, yeah, I'm just trying to think. It was a, like it was a lot around germs and getting sick. Um, like even like when I was 20 or something, like that, I'd be like getting a sex- sexually transmitted disease or something like that. And then there was other ones about being a pedophile. And I was just like, I remember, I remember when I was 16, I was having those thoughts around sexuality, and my mom was telling me, "Oh, you're gonna grow up and be a pedophile." It was so so disturbing I went and sat on the driveway in the pouring rain and cried and my dad my dad had to hold me while I was there and like you're 16 you're learning so many different things about your body and sort of what you want to do with your life just to have those intrusive thoughts is just insanity and that's and that's why I think I get so upset when people sort of make a joke of it because like it was destroying my life at that time and like even now it's 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 ordinary and when I was a support worker um I was I took on a, a kid with OCD that reminded me a lot like me and just it, it was sort of like PTSD um watching him sort of go around his routine and stuff like that and trying to help him um yeah it just it's it's such an awful disease um I just sort of wish there could be something done i I could never take um, medication like SSRIs and stuff. I just had the worst side effects to it when I was 13. I think it put me in such a coma that I'd weed the bed twice a night and I was 13 or 14. And then other, ones, other ones, I'd shake like I had Parkinson's or I'd have like, I wouldn't be able to see because like the migraines were so bad. I feel like I was going to vomit all the time. And I just went through that cycle of SSRIs. Just oh, constant circle. So, just, try- yeah, it was pretty intense. Um, but I think those experiences make you a bit stronger. So, I've tried to do alternate things. I take some Ashwangara. Um, and then, my doctor, my doctor's been really good actually. I had a, I've had a couple of good doctors, um, GPs, and he suggested taking some vitamin um, that works like an SSRI. I was like, I haven't started it yet, but I'll give it a run because I just I, 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 I don't think I can go through that cycle again. No, I'm thirty. I'm 30. No. Uh, it's either that or I go do some some more CBT.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I completely completely understand in that reluctance to want to touch anything that you've had such a horrific past experience but, with.
1: But I found my symptoms were different. So I took one, the one that made me weep the bed. I took that. I think I I'd always resisted going back onto it. I was like, oh, I'll give another go I'm in my twenties, and migraines. And the the nausea was so bad. I'd have to, like, at times I'd have to go home from work. Oh. Just constant food poisoning 24 hours a day. Oh, that is... like, horrendous.
0: Oh, that is terrible. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Did you have a difficulty ever trying to, like, be taken seriously by medical authorities when you were...
1: Yeah, 100%.
0: 100%.
1: 100%. I think... Like even though these people that sort of are specialists and stuff like that, I think there's mm. still a bit of ignorance. Actually, quite a bit of ignorance. Like doctors trying to get me on the scales, and I'd just be like, "No." Like I would tell them why. And I was like, "Hey, anorexia. I don't think that's going to work for me." And then just wouldn't proceed. Um, like the the over in St. Leonard's just didn't really get taken seriously. Um, just they they made me feel more of a burden. And I think that's the opposite effect you want to have when someone comes into an inpatient treatment like setting and is also paying extremely ridiculous prices to get that help um, to then be felt like you're a bit of a joke, like you're wasting their time. Like it's just counteractive. And I think those experiences makes people not want to go get help again. And they just sort of sit in that limbo of sort of, do I get help or do I just stay really really terribly sick and yeah i'm i just kind of i don't know i just kind of push through it um yeah. it's like other people can't I, I personally i at times i was like i don't i don't think i can go get treatment but i sort of with that supportive network it was a bit of encouragement to get back into it I seen, i've seen doctors since i was seven or eight years old and now i'm 30 so i'm had bad experiences with lots of doctors, but whatever.
0: Yeah, no, I get like, it. I can
1: stuff and,
0: it. Yeah, exactly. Right. You have to like you get you reach that point, you're like, that could have really negatively impacted me. That, but I'm just gonna go, no, okay, moving yeah. on. That was awful. Yeah.
1: But like bad nurses as well getting blood tests. I could scar arm from one of them.
0: Oh just my goodness. Darling.
1: Just, yeah. Horrific. Like, it's amateur error.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um Oh, and there's some things that people that just lack education that they would say absolutely. I think sometimes, especially in medical settings, I was um, met with a lot of <laughs> peculiar, to put it nicely, phrases and sayings and things that would just come across in conversation with people that knew I was being treated for an eating disorder, but went ahead and said things anyway.
1: I think I think that's that's sort of an aspect that could be changed when you sort of a training your nurses, your doctors, or anything like that, if they're going to go into sort of needing sort of um, support, I think it could be a better idea that you have someone that has that lived experience to actually educate them and say, hey, like, these are the things, like, there's boundaries and these are the things that sort of are going to, you might think you're okay to say to someone else on the street, but that could negatively impact and push that person back I, mean, I think that's. I think that's when you have you have that lived experience person come in and train them.
0: That is actually the most phenomenal idea there because that's what we need. I feel like we shy away from letting lived experience have a space in the eating disorder treatment realm. But even in that kind of backseat, like just speaking of the professionals that work on the front line with eating disorder patients, you know, like can
1: I copyright that? Yeah, millions. Do- made right, millions now.
0: Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah because it's oh my goodness it's ridiculous and just imagine the effects that it will have don't yeah please don't talk about this
1: or um, like I understand everyone has a slip of the tongue but when it's when it's pretty constant
0: I remember my mum one day um I'm gonna say something now that was was very triggering at the time but it doesn't mean anything to me anymore but I was eating in I was in a medical setting and I was Eating a meal plan that was prescribed to me, and I remember the nurse that had was taking care of me said, "Oh, if I ate that, if I ate that, I would be the size of a house. You're going to be fattened Aww. up and out of here in no time." And my Aww. mom her jaw just dropped to the floor. She actually got ve- and, like you said, probably she was not in- insanely proud of how she treated the situation, yeah. but at the time, she was like, "Are you kidding?" Do you not understand the capacity that that has to influence that?
1: I think my mum's done something pretty similar. I think, like, you're at hospital eating, like, because you sort of, if your family came, you could eat with them. I think, I think, mum was just like, oh, these people are pretty sick. I like, yeah, mum. Like, <laughs> it's just, it's just that sort of blase old school thing. And sort yeah. of, I know she, she didn't mean it in like a sort of narcissistic way, but it's just sort of, mum, put your head in. I love you. Yeah, but like my mum my was one of my my harshest crit- critics when I was living that unhealthy lifestyle she was she was one of one of the ones that was sort of into me about my weight and stuff like that so it's she, fair- she doesn't get a free pass no I get it and it's
0: kind <laughs> of it's like um yeah I saw something the other day it's quite ironic that people can so people in smaller bodies can be doing have really unhealthy habits that we know scientifically are unhealthy so drinking a lot or you know smoking again a lot you know these are intrinsically not you know great for us but a person in a smaller body isn't always isn't going to necessarily be told you you know by someone a potential stranger i'm worried about your health when they're performing that behavior but someone in a a bigger body can just exist in that bigger body and then be told by someone a relative stranger oh I'm worried about your health you know and for all that person knows they're actually really really healthy and their body is exactly where it wants to be you know we can't actually judge someone's health by looking at them
1: so I think that's sort of it's like sort of the whole thing is like you don't have to look a certain way to have an eating disorder, but I think I think that also pushes people back. If they sort of they they wouldn't be taken seriously. Oh, it's just like it's just a nightmare situation for the person that's suffering. It's just like it, it doesn't. I just hope that, that the times where you, you don't you aren't taken seriously, sort of you push back on it and you just continue trying to get help.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You never give up on yourself either. Yeah.
1: No. So everyone, everyone deserves to feel validated and loved and stuff like that. I don't care what your views on in the world are, but you, yeah. everyone deserves to be loved and taken seriously. Unless your views are extremists. Yeah. yeah. You can go ahead and get the bin.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Hitler. <well>. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> nah. Just. <laughs> I don't think anyone took him seriously. No. <laughs> I was just in 1945.
0: What was your journey to where you are today? You know, do your, um, you know, your, in quotation marks, real recovery, you know, your, like, commitment to yourself kind of begin? Like, what did it, it look like? Day. Yeah, it to, like, like, yeah. Has it been, like, a journey from?
1: It was just that confrontation, really. Um, well, not really confrontation. Sort of family being worried and sort of it came to a bit of a T. Um, and that's when I was just like, "Yeah, need to need to sort of sort this out." Um, I was just sick of being sick, um, and then I guess I just sort of started working a little bit more slowly. Uh, I was seeing a, a dietitian, probably about two and a half hours away. Um, my dad used to drive up with me, and basically, when I first saw him, um, he was just like, oh, "Man." <laughs> you're dying <laughs> um, yeah. so let's 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 put a, a plan together and he's probably the only person i've ever felt happy with being like being weighed um i was i was more than happy to sort of get on the on the scales for him just because i trusted him and i knew he wasn't in those in those hospital settings i sort of had some doubts about sort of how how i was being treated and stuff like that where i sort of completely trusted um this fella and his approach and we worked through it It and we of like this is what I need you to do set out a meal plan something that I thought was was um achievable yeah he'd he'd he'd, he'd offer me some things and I'd just be like no I I I don't think I can eat that that's in the category of anxiety and he'd be like okay let's have a look at a different way we can sort of get around that and that's that's sort of I, I found that really really encouraging and I was more willing to sort of come to the party I it takes two to tango it takes it takes the sufferers to sort of go yeah I can do that and the sort of specialist to say okay I can meet you halfway it's not like it's my way or the highway Um, that's the important thing so I worked with him and sort of started started doing things like that and he'd get me into it into an exercise program so I could I could build up all the muscle I was I was losing because yeah. his quotation, my muscle is just eating itself. So we just worked like that. And then I sort of started working a little bit back at the pub um, I worked at before. Um, they were really good. They were always gave me a job back um, as many hours as I wanted. And then, yeah, I just started working in disability. Um, sort of wanted to give back. And I just continued to sort of chip away at it because I think you need to anyone needs to realize it's not this, this like quick approach. It's sort of, it takes a lot of, a lot of time, a lot of effort. Um, and you've got to work with those, those specialists. You've got to find someone that you, you really gel with.
0: Yeah. Um, that's important. You isn't it?
1: Need that backing. Like you can, as I've, as I've always like, said quite a few times um, that emotional, that sort of supportive network, but you need people outside of like your immediate family and friends who actually specialized in these things? Um, and you've—it's hard to build a trust when you've been let down before. But if you can find someone that you trust, then it just makes that journey a lot easier. Um, so yeah, I just sort of kept chipping away at it, um, challenging myself at times, challenging myself a lot actually. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, I still had those those periods where I was just like, I don't do it. But I sort of had some mantras. And I think it's like I don't live with, with, with my mum anymore. Um, in my dad's dad's bathroom before he passed away, I had a um, I had like a little saying from, I think it's Carolyn Costin. Is this yeah. like the seven, seven? Yeah, I had that book and I made notes and stuff like that. And I printed off one of her quotes and I stuck it up in the mirror. So every time I walked into the mirror. I couldn't put it at the bottom of the mirror. I'm six foot four. So I had to put it at the top. Um, and I just, start, and then as I was, as I'd get undressed to get into the shower, I'd just look at that quote and i just, I'd, and then other times I'd sort of, I used to put a, like a, a towel over my mirror because I found like I'd just get myself lost. And I think if you if you find ways to sort of mitigate those things, it makes it a lot easier. So that quote, Sort of not looking in the mirror because then you'd start like nitpicking things you don't like. It's just, it's a rabbit hole. Yeah. So I think that, that made it a lot easier on my journey. Um, yeah. I think it, awesome. it, it took a bit of a dip. Um, when, when my dad died, it was, it was a bit of a struggle. Um, I thought I really like my mum and my family didn't know, but I, I really thought that I was going to regress and sort of go back in, into old ways. But um, I, I remember my my dad had cancer, he had a rare form of cancer and during chemo, he he wouldn't be able to eat because he'd just be so sick. And he sat me down once and said to me, he just goes, I'm so sorry, Tim. I don't, I can never imagine how you went through this and felt so sick. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, it's pretty rough, but it was, it was good to have that sort of understanding to see someone in your immediate, immediate family sort of understood. Um, that eating just made me really anxious because when he went to go eat, he would just feel so anxious and stuff. So yeah. that, made it, that made it feel a little bit better. But I thought I was going to regress after he died, but I remembered that quote and sort of he always said to me that he, he never wanted to see me sick and said he was always proud about the effort I made. Yeah. So I was just pretty, went back to being pig-headed about sort of doing it for him. So yeah. that's that's what I continually do is um continue on this in quotation marks recovery yeah um, for, de- for my dad. So oh,
0: that's yeah. that's something incredible. Do you remember what the quote was?
1: I don't actually had something in my bedroom as well. I don't I don't, I
0: don't no, that's okay. I'll I'll have to look it up. Carolyn Custon has a
1: it was, it was something about dictated. Your body weight doesn't dictate something, something, something.
0: Yeah, you'll we'll yeah, have just, to look it I just,
1: up. I just found it as a quote that resonated with me.
0: So. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And having it in a place, especially, you know, when you're jumping in the shower and having to look at your reflection every night when you're going through, you know, when you've got an eating disorder, that's never going to be a pleasant time. It's never going to be no. What's, do you mind me asking, you know, what kind of relationship you have with your body now? Is it like a neutral one? Is it?
1: Um, I don't know. Like I've always been my harshest critic. Yeah. hundred percent. No one could be more of a critic on myself than me. Um, yeah. Like I have times um, where I'm just, I don't like it. Um, I have times where I feel a bit more confident, um, but it's sort of, it's a love hate relationship. I, um, I sort of – I do things for me that make me feel a bit better about myself, uh, whether that's around a golf or I'll sort of go to the gym at sort of some stupid clock in the morning before I go to work. Um, and I just find – I find like sort of golf or or, the, or going to the gym, um, sometimes that's that's a triggering thing for, for a person. And it's one of their their behaviours, um, if, that, if that's one of your behaviours in sort of stick away from that where i find i find the gym is the place where i can sort of be be with myself and be with my thoughts and years and years i don't want to be with my thoughts um but now i sort of i can think about it and sort of reflect and sort of look in look in the gym mirror and show how, how far i've come and, and the progress that i've made the hard work i've had to do um so yeah i think
0: yeah, yeah. And it can be seen in so many different lights. I think we um, we don't appreciate the power of, you know, moving your body and actually getting to a place where moving it is really powerful for a change. Yeah. You know, when you've been unwell, you can't do a lot with a with an undernourished body. So it's really cool to get to a place where you're like, look at what this
1: body can do. I couldn't even think. Yes. In, in, in the pits of it, I, I couldn't think. I just sleep. 99% of the time with, yeah. my, dog, with my puppy sleeping it, on top of me.
0: Yeah, he's just was, it together.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Mum just used to take photos of me like it was a model shoot. A sick, <laughs> guy, sick guy asleep with an adorable puppy. The cute dog. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, that's great. Do you think, Tim, sorry, that, that like no. such an underrepresentation of males with eating disorders, do you think that contributes to like less men recognizing when they have an issue and yeah i definitely
1: think so i definitely think so i think also it's sort of it's it's weird because um there's a lot of people a lot of guys that sort of have it might be anorexia or anything like that or other things but i think they have certain behaviors that actually are come under the category of an eating disorder but i think they just pass it off i think Guys have always had a problem with sharing emotions. Yeah. Women, women have always been pretty, pretty good. Like women can be pretty nasty, um, but they can also be really, really, really supportive. You guys can have your, your friend networks. Where guys, it's always just like stopping a pussy. Come on, I forget. Yeah. Like, Sorry for yourself. Um, so I think I think that is a struggle. Um, and then I think guys fear going to the doctor. That stigma of being being a pussy. Yeah. Um. yeah I, I, I think I think it's come around I could be extremely wrong but I think it comes around from the gym culture yeah like like people influencers they tell you what to eat what to what to take what supplements to take and you're always looking always got in your in your in like in your face someone that looks like a chiseled stone you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just unrealistic, and I guarantee you, those photos are doctored.
0: Yeah, so, exactly. They're like, not even it's, real. It's,
1: it's it's nearly physically impossible to look that good.
0: And right. it's like the person in that photo doesn't even look like the person in that photo. So how are you supposed? Perhaps to not.
1: Yeah, yeah. Anyone heard of like lights and and right lighting? Yeah. So I think I think that is a really really big um sort of issue in in guys, and it, I think it shows in the statistics. What is it now? One in why do something like a really small number of guys with eating disorders yeah so it, if someone listens to this and you go hey like i might have an eating disorder i'm good get some help like yeah.
0: and that's why i'm help. here
1: i'm here the reason i'm trying to voice to say get some help if you need it like you can always get better but yeah. it'll get it, it just gets worse if you stay stuck
0: yeah absolutely and there is help and you do deserve it and it doesn't have a like being sick doesn't have a look, you know, and there is no, you know, like, especially like get help now, you know, don't wait, don't wait till it's worse. Like mm. do it now.
1: Cause it's harder to come back from. The sick you get.
0: Oh, the sick, the more entrenched the behaviours become, the harder 100%. they are to challenge. 100%. Uh,
1: always good to get on top of it. But some people, I think it is so, so afraid of sort of that stigma and sort of being scrutinised. But I've, I've kind of had to learn to sort of not care about what people say. Yeah. Um, it's, it's easy, easier said than done. But I'm not going to say that stranger again.
0: Yeah, exactly. Is there anything that you'd like to say to someone who is going through something like what you went through that also doesn't fit that stereotypical mould of what it's like to have an eating disorder or OCD? Is there anything?
1: Just I think as we said earlier you, you deserve to feel to feel validated and loved um if you're hearing this reach out to me if you really want my inboxes are always open for anyone that's struggling but you deserve to get help and feel love and live that, that like a fulfilled life it's everyone deserves it so you're no different to be honest um yeah. if I can come back from being really cruel, anyone can
0: that's 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 so, so, uh, it's just amazing. I know what it would have been like to be in your shoes and to hear someone say that. And it's just like that. That's what you need. You need someone who understands and can offer hope and can say it gets better when they've actually got experience in what you're
1: experiencing because it's. Oh, yeah, you yeah, get doctors saying, oh, like it'll get be better. You don't know. You don't, don't know. know. Yeah, you, you
0: have no idea.
1: All right, you, you will go into hospital for a month at a time. Come with me So see how you go. Yeah. But- You'll, you'll meet people. I've met people in hospital that are fantastic. I still talk to them. And, like, even though they're not the same gender, they're, they're great, great friends. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's, it's not all doom and gloom on, on the journey. You do meet some lovely people.
0: Yeah, incredible. Like, we're sitting here, and the thing that connects us is the fact that we've been through some pretty shitty experiences.
1: <laughs> we had a couple of laughs. laughs.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's worth it, right? Like, it's just for this, it's worth it. Mm. What does your, like, day in the life look like now compared to, the, you know, once, you know, when you were really unwell? Like, what makes
1: life so much better worth living? Um, having the energy to do things. Like, in saying that, I get up at, like, 3, 3.30 in the morning and then work all day. But I sort of get a bit tired. You know, yeah, no, I was start, getting... now, <laughs> <okay>. yeah, <laughs> The coffees wear off after a while. Um, yeah. Not much, to be honest. I just, like... I'll go, I'll go go and, and sort of do something for me in the morning when I get up at that stupid time. Um, and then I'll just, I'll go to work. I'll come home, I'll do some cooking. Um, I, it's ironic because I actually found um, peace in cooking. Um, I found it sort of took me away from from my issues. And it was also something where it's an activity where you confront your fears as well. Yes. So it works on many levels. Um, I found that really, really... Um, therapeutic so I'll do that in the night I'll hang out with my housemates or I'll, I'll go for another walk by the water or something like that um, yeah like my life is is like any adult of my own responsibilities but like compared to what it was um, I wasn't napping for 22 out of 24 hours um, like my bodily functions work you know what I mean it wasn't a life worth living no. that stage it was it was horrible so that's why I'm, I'm like i'm so passionate about people feeling like they are validated and and worthy of the treatment that's there um so it's it's completely different um and no one likes change but this is this is a good change um yeah something something i'm proud of um for the work i've put in so should be yeah 100 anyone that sort of puts their best foot forward or even if you're just dabbling in the the road of progress should be proud because that first step's the hardest
0: absolutely yeah exactly if you like can you just give a few words of empowerment to someone who might be it's you know really really ambivalent about whether or not they actually want to start to
1: to to do
0: something to challenge their eating disorder
1: um i don't i don't think i can because i think it comes down deep down deep down that person knows they want to want to get help they might be just a bit scared but as we said that first step is the hardest just take it take it and you and you can smash goals from there but it really comes down to that person i always what i what i did is like i used to say out loud to myself was like how much do i want it how much do i want to sort of go back to full-time work and have kids get married go traveling that's the things that i used as sort of um I can't think of the word now like
0: ammunition
1: like ammunition yeah I talk too much and my brain's gone numb um, no, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I use those I use those I just set some some small targets don't sit don't set your like your long targets maybe just set set one for the day like I'm gonna write them a novel for five minutes and then once you hit that because if you if you set those long-term goals like I' gonna go travel to Russia for six months it's just if you don't get there, you just can't be like, oh, what's the point of I missed out on that? Short yeah. goals. Even if it's something like make a goal for like the end of the week. You know what I mean? Do something Yeah, it doesn't have you. to be grand. It can be Not like
0: absolutely go out. I'm gonna for make lunch I'm gonna make day my
1: day. bed. I'm gonna make my bed three out of seven days.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: And I don't people- think I've done I don't think I've done that in four years. I don't think I've made it once. <laughs> so not very good at goal setting.
0: No, no, um, but you know what? Like I actually had something someone said to me and it stuck with me forever. Um he said he was going through a hard patch at the time that he was talking to me and he said sometimes i just i get up in the morning at the moment and i look at my bed and i say i'm going to get through the day and be okay. That bed's not going to get made. i just don't have the time or space for it and i'm moving on.
1: My, my mom like, still calls me and still says have you made your bed, but i read a read an information some stat and it said that if you leave your bed unmade, it kills the mites right in your bed. So while my mum sleeps in her mite bed, I'm not sleeping my
0: <laughs> Exactly, <mind. laughs> see, mum, there are pros to this. I'm actually yeah.
1: winning. 100. <laughs> <Yeah, 100%. laughs>
0: oh, Tim, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story and being so passionate and inspiring and vulnerable. It's so. It's so infectious it just makes me want to do the same and i think that's the effect that we want to have on people you know talk about things yeah don't be ashamed
1: 100% thank you so much for having me and reaching out to have a chat um it's awesome what you're doing I oh thank you, you.
0: no likewise and where can our listeners can anyone reach you is there some place that they can go to get in contact
1: just search tim Comer on facebook or Bonnier b-o-n-y-a-y 29 on instagram reach out I'm like as i said it's it's always open oh anyone. that's so wonderful I'm struggling um if it's past nine o'clock at night i might have to get back to you the next morning yeah
0: because at 3 45
1: 30 going on nine. <laughs> it's
0: always the best it's all right we love our beauty sleep that's what we appreciate thank you so much tim pleasure
1: thank you all right <laughs>